0: Greetings to each of you, brothers and sisters, in the worthy name of Jesus. It's a joy to be gathered together again. And I too want to welcome uh, the visitors, many visitors among us. Uh, My good friend Dave Black is here as well. Welcome, Dave. It's so good to have you join us this morning as well. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that it is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. But the words that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so we gather together this morning in the name of the Holy Spirit, the one who gives life, the one who guides us into truth. And I pray that as we look into the scriptures today that God could be glorified in each one of us as individuals and then corporately as a body of believers that we can be drawn closer to him. In the Old Testament, we find numerous pictures of progression, pointing to the coming of the, um, the Messiah and his kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women. Uh, for example, in Daniel chapter 2, we have uh, this story there where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision, and he calls on Daniel and Daniel gives him the meaning of the vision, but, but there in that vision, there is this enormous, awesome statue. And then this stone, relatively small stone, comes and smashes into the feet of this great statue and completely destroys it uh, to dust And then the wind blows it away. It's gone. And then that stone grows and becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's a picture of progression. You see what I'm saying? Also in Ezekiel chapter 17, we have uh, the story of this little tender twig that is clipped from the very highest branches of the tall cedar tree That little tender twig is then planted on a high mountain in Israel. And that little twig begins to grow. And it grows. And it bears fruit. It flourishes. And it grows into a splendid cedar tree. And the Bible says that birds of all kinds come and build nests in that tree And find shelter in the branches of that tree. It's a picture of progression. And I say it speaks of a coming Messiah. It speaks of his kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women. You know, throughout the Bible, from front front cover to back, over and over again, we come face to face with the call of the gospel. Calling Sinners to salvation. Calling saints to grow to a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Savior. In other words, wherever the Spirit is, there is movement. There is movement. And we find that call. We find that tug. We find that pull throughout Scripture. And no doubt, you know what I mean by that. That tug, that pull, that call, you know what I mean by that in your own personal life. No doubt you have felt that. No doubt you will feel it in the future. And perhaps you are here this morning and and God is working on you even today. God is tugging at your heart. God is putting his finger on something in your life and saying, come a little deeper. Come a little deeper. When I reflect on this call to go deeper and how it has worked out in my life, I think of various things, but I often think back to the year 2011. I was just a 30-year-old man, had a beautiful wife and three little boys, managed a business, owned a house and five acres out in the country, had a pickup truck and a Dodge minivan, sang with the men's quartet for 10 years. I mean, could life get any better? Life was wonderful. And yet throughout that year, God was putting his finger on two things specifically in my life. God was putting his finger on my music. Some of my music tastes. No, Josh Good hasn't always got that right. He was putting his finger on that. I had a stash of music that I had had from my younger years that I had a hard time parting with. And although it wasn't anti-God in the violent kind of way, you could say, yet it was fleshly music. It was music that, that sort of defined a little bit who I was at the time, and it sort of was a part of me, and it was hard to let go, and... God was putting his finger on that and some of that came through the loving admonition of my dear wife and others just it came through the Lord speaking to me perhaps in other ways that was one thing the Lord was putting his finger on there's another thing the Lord was working on in my life and that was my my love for hunting and hunting had become a huge priority in my life Something that I was spending a lot of time in. Putting a lot of money into. In fact, I could say it was, it was becoming somewhat of an addiction in my life. And me and my friends, we were, we were on to filming hunts. And we were naming deer. And we had a list of the deer we are going to shoot. And, and we were going out and we were putting a lot of time and energy into that. And, and we were filming deer. But throughout that fall... After I missed my sixth deer in just four weeks, it became obvious that the Lord was speaking to me. And I remember walking back to the house after I had bow hunted that late October morning. Walking back to the house, and I met my wife uh, hanging out laundry. And and I, I I just sort of laughed. I said, honey, the Lord doesn't want me to shoot a deer this year. Something is going on. I'm not sure what's going on, but something's going on. It became obvious to me that that God had something in store for me, that God wanted me to be more than just a, a big buck hunter. Oh, well, little did I know at that point what God was doing, but as I look back now, I, I see. God had other plans, and God understood that, That there were things in my life that had to go in order for me to be more useful in the kingdom of God. Maybe the Lord is putting his finger on something in your life. I invite you to Ezekiel 47 for a text this morning. And in this passage, we find another picture of progression. In fact, it's, it's a powerful picture of progress and depth in our spiritual life. In fact, as we read this passage this morning, we will feel the call to go deeper. Ezekiel 47 verses 1 through 12. Follow along as I read. Afterward, He brought me again unto the door of the house. Okay, now, we're going to stop for just a moment because there's something very important that I've already read, and that is the word he. Okay? Who are we talking about? Well, first of all, this is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is having a vision. But who is the he that is leading him? Well, perhaps it's the angel of the Lord. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, let's go back to chapter 40, where we see the beginning of this vision. Chapter 40 in verse 3. And let's note who this was. Chapter 40, verse 3. And he brought me thither... That is God. And behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring reed. And he stood in the gate. This is the one. Now, the the reason I say that perhaps it could be none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is because this description is very similar to the description that we find In Daniel chapter 7, in Revelation chapter 1, where we have this one uh, that comes to Daniel, the Ancient of Days, and we have this one that comes to John on the Isle of Patmos, and they, they are in shining brilliance. I guess we don't know completely. One day we will, perhaps. But this is who is leading Ezekiel on this tour of the temple and the surrounding areas. Verse 1. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, or the door of the temple. Back in chapter 47, by the way. And behold, waters issued from under the threshold of the house eastward. Now, we'll find the word behold three different times in these 12 verses. That is meant to be an exclamation. You dare not just read it, and behold... No, and behold, Ezekiel is exclaiming like this is something unusual. Wow, I can't believe. Do you see that? It's, that? it's that reaction. Behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house or the temple eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate, by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters." The waters were to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins or to the waist. Afterward he measured a thousand. And it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen. Waters to swim in. A river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me. Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country, and go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed." And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither. For they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from en even unto En-Eglaim. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea. Or, in other words, there shall be fish there of every kind, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed they shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit, according to his months, or it shall bring forth fruit every month, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. I've entitled this message, Going Deeper. Going Deeper. Before we move into making some observations here, let me just note that the Jews frequently compared the blessings of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit to water in general. So in the Old Testament, you have this a number of times, uh, where you have words like rain, fountains, wells, rivers, and and other such-like words. But to the Jews, that was was a sign of God's blessing. That was the sign of God's presence, of the influence of the Holy Spirit. That was power. That was life. That was health. Uh, For example... Psalm 36, verses 8 and 9. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life. Isaiah 35, 6 and 7. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And in uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, God says to the people, You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you have hewn for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So once again, to the Jewish people, water, flowing water, running water, was a sign of blessing, health, life, protection, shelter. God was working through that. Now, let us move on here to note Some observations, make some observations in this passage. We'll first note the source and then the size and lastly the strength of this water that is flowing out of the temple. As we look at the source here, we find this in verses 1 and 2 and also verse 12, but we see here that water was issuing out from under the threshold of the house, or From the temple. It goes on to say. That the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under. From the right side of the house. At the south side of the altar. Now it also mentions in verse 12. You have this beautiful picture of life. This beautiful picture of health. And it says. Why is this? Because their waters issued out of the sanctuary. Okay, so we have here if the temple is facing east and the water is flowing out towards the east, and we're gonna follow this man to the east, then we would go out of the east gate, right? You would think so. No, that's not what happens. Why? It doesn't say it here, but. The east gate is closed. And so here we read that he brought me, verse 2, out of the way of the gate northward and brought me around to look at it. Now why is this? And this is foundational here. Turn to chapter 43. Uh, the beginning of 43 and 44, we see why, we, we see why the man did this to Ezekiel. Chapter 43, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looked toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. Isn't that a beautiful word picture? The earth shined with his glory. Verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Okay, so here we have the glory that had left Israel some years before. The glory of the Lord is now returning to the temple, is now returning to God's people, to this holy place. And so, in the innermost part of this temple, in the sanctuary, we have the glory of the Lord, and the earth is shining with His glory, as it were. Now, turn to verse uh, chapter forty-four, verse one. Then He brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, with which looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. Do you see the glory of God? Do you see the holiness of God? Because the glory of God is passed in this way, that gate is now shut. No man can enter that way. Verse 3, It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the Lord, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. So there you have it. The glory of the Lord has been restored to the temple, to the innermost sanctuary. We're talking here about the source Where is this water flowing out from? Dear people, this water is flowing from that innermost sanctuary. None other than the Holy of Holies. The place where the presence of God is. Where the glory of God is. That is where this water is trickling forth from. I also want us to note before we move on to look at the size of this, that this water was rising near the altar of sacrifice. It was flowing from that innermost sanctuary, from the presence of God himself. And it was then trickling past the altar of sacrifice, the place where repentance was made. We won't go into all that symbolism right now, but just ponder that. That is at the beginning, and now we're moving on out. Now, let's notice here the size of this water. Verse 2 says, there ran out waters on the right side. That ran out literally means it trickled forth. Okay, now when you think of something trickling, when you think of water trickling forth, it is a very small term. Okay, it's not running, it's not gushing, it's not flowing, it's just trickling. Hey honey, we have a leak over here. Is it bad? No, it's just trickling. Okay, I'll get to it in a little while. (laughs) You know, it's that type of thing. It shows how small this was. And that's important because you know how the story ends. But the water is just trickling forth from this innermost sanctuary. And then we notice how that it gets increasingly deeper as it moves further and further east. This water gets increasingly deeper until it becomes a mighty river. In fact, verse 5 says there, it's a river that is so deep, so large, Ezekiel said, I could not pass over. He says that twice. It could not be passed over. This river is impassable, but you notice that it started as a Small trickle. Now, the width isn't specified. But the word pictures imply that the width becomes significant. It implies that. Because we have this river that has banks. And and this river has trees on either side. And this river is large enough that it couldn't be passed over. I mean, to Ezekiel in the flesh, as he looked at that from a human, perspective, he, a human perspective, he's like, I cannot get across that. Impossible. And so it implies that not only was it deep, but it was wide as well. Now, what about the length of this water? Well, verse 8 says that these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea. And we'll, we'll look at that just uh, in a bit. But this is not just a small, a small river that just lasts for a little bit, but this river has some length to it. I want you to notice something else about the source and the size Of this water this water increases from just a trickling stream to a mighty river not by the help of any other side streams at all but but it's supplied solely from that sacred source in the temple you see that's that's unique from our perspective As we think about rivers, we think about mighty rivers in in our world today. We think of how others' little streams come in and feed it and feed it. So we have a source and then that source starts going downstream and then others others feed it and others feed it and others feed it and run off and it gets larger and larger until it's a mighty river. Not so with this one. There was no other source, there was no other side streams that fed into this Everything was supplied by the source, the sacred source flowing out of the innermost sanctuary. Now, let's notice the strength. And when I say the strength, I'm talking about the properties of this water and the effects that this water had. Uh, So we're going to see this in verses 8 through 12. But we note here in verse 8 that this water is flowing east. Down into the desert. Or some, some versions might say, say Arabah. Flowing down into the Arabah. Uh, the Jordan Valley. The Great Rift. This is where this, this water is flowing. But it doesn't stop there. It continues to flow. Where is it going to? It's going to the sea. Oh, so? Do you know what sea it is? It's the Dead Sea. This water is flowing to the Dead Sea. Now, think for a moment about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a large body of salt water. The Dead Sea has no outlet. Water continues to come in, but there's no water going out. And so the water is stagnant. There's no movement. But in addition to that, as the water evaporates, as water does, the salt doesn't. And so, due to the increasingly high volume of salt, and the fact that there's no movement, life cannot exist in the Dead Sea. Thus, it's called the Dead Sea. And I read that the Dead Sea contains six times the amount of salt as the ocean water six times the amount the Dead Sea this is where this stream this water turning into a mighty river is flowing flowing into the Dead Sea the scripture here says that when this water that issues out of the temple when this water flows into the Dead Sea Verse 8, the waters shall be healed. Or, in other words, the waters of the Dead Sea shall be made fresh. They shall be healed, (laughs) their properties shall be changed. We move into verse 9, and it says, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither. These healing waters, these life-giving waters. For they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Shall live. We have it twice here. In verse 9. That is the Hebrew word. kaya, Which we find. Six different times. In Ezekiel chapter 37. You know that story. About the dry bones. Something that looked. Absolutely impossible. This valley was full. Of bones. Bleached bones. And they weren't intact. Just bones scattered all over. And the question was, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Kaya. We find it six times. And you know the story that through the Spirit of God, life was breathed into these bones and they came together bone against bone and they formed an exceeding great army and lived. An army to be reckoned with. Kaya. Here it is again. Here are waters that are flowing. Into what is dead. Hopeless. No life. And there will be life there. The property shall be changed. Kaya. They will live. The NIV renders it this way. In uh, verse, verse 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And where the river flows everything will live. We have that thought twice. Wherever this river flows, everything will live. Now, I want us to note the pictures in verses 10 and 12. Because not only does this mighty river of water give life to everything that is in it, okay, we, we, we notice that, but not only does it give life to everything that is in it, But look how it gives life and beauty to everything around it. In it and around it. Look here at verse 10. We have this picture of fishermen lined up all around the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is a large body of water. I don't know exactly what size, but look on a map. It's large. No life existed there. But now we have new life there. We have fish of every kind there. We have many, many fish there. In fact, it says we have many fish, all kinds of fish, just like in the sea. What's the other sea it's talking about here? Let's see, where does it say it? Oh, the Great Sea. Just like the fish of the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Now we're talking really big. Everything there. This smaller body of water, the Dead Sea, becomes like the Great Sea in many ways. Now that it has life. Now that it has fresh water. There's health there. But notice here the picture. We have fishermen this is now a place to come fishing. I mean, there must be guys coming from all over the world to fish at this new fishing resort, okay? It's that picture. And it says they're lined up from En even unto En or Well, where's En Well, we know that En if you're looking on the map and you see the Dead Sea here, En is about middle of the way on the west bank, okay, of the Dead Sea. We don't know exactly where En is, but many commentators believe that it might be Directly across on the other side. So the picture is, at least one picture is, that these guys are lined up the whole way around the Dead Sea. I mean, from one side to the other. You have guys lined up fishing. And, and there's places to to lay your nets. I mean, it is it is an absolute knockout resort for fishing. Fish of every kind. And they're coming far and wide. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what God is doing? Do you see this this beautiful, powerful picture of restoration. Matthew Henry, he puts it well when he said it this way. The grace of God, and I'll add the spirit of God, makes dead sinners alive and alive saints, lively. (laughs) Everything is made fruitful and flourishing by it. But he doesn't end there. He says, but its effect is according to As it is received, and as the mind is prepared and disposed to receive it. Why does he say that? Because of verse 11. That's why. Verse 11. But its effect is according as it is received. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, they shall be given to salt. Everything, everyone that is in the flow of this river of water of life lives, is beautified, experiences power, health. You have to be in the flow of this water. And everything around it experiences beauty and life. You get out of that flow of water. You move into the swamp. You move into the miry clay into the marsh where there is no water flowing, that speaks of a place that is unproductive. It speaks of a place that is, speaks of judgment. Actually in the Old Testament when we have this word salt, and we look up salt in the Old Testament, It often has with it the the context of judgment. Think of Lot's wife. She became a pillar of salt. Judgment, why? Okay, you know why. It's that context. And here we have it again. Miry places, swampy land, no, no flow of water. You're outside of the flow of life, of power, Holy Spirit, presence, and protection. Your life is given to salt. There's death there. The, the properties are not there to sustain life. I have to, to reflect on, on two other parallel passages. And the one is Psalm 1, where you know how it goes. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the basis. And he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay? It's a very similar picture to right here. This is a person that is grounded and delighting in his relationship with God. He's feasting on the Word. And flowing out of that is a beautiful picture of life and health and strength, prosperity in many ways. But also, turn to Jeremiah 17. Here's another one Jeremiah chapter 17. It's a very similar picture. Uh, Starting at verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. You get in the picture? Blessed is the man, here's the contrast, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree, planted by the waters, and that spreads out her roots by the rivers, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful, or he's not going to worry in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. It's a a very similar picture to back in Ezekiel 47. But I just want you to note before we move on, note the difference in perspective of these two people. The one the Lord said is cursed because he trusts in himself. He looks to himself and not to the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 6 that he will not even see good, That comes. He will not even see when good comes. (laughs) Look at his perspective. When good comes, he doesn't even see it. He doesn't even appreciate it. He doesn't even give God thanks for it. He probably just says, it's about time. I've worked for that. Uh Uh-uh, they don't even notice it. But look at verse 8. Look at the change in perspective. Look at the contrast. This person who trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is, they shall not see when heat cometh. <laughs> you know, the Lord is blessing them. Their perspective is on the Lord, what the Lord is doing, the Lord's life and health and goodness. And, and that's where their, their perspective is and that's what their focus is at. And so when bad times come, they don't worry about it because they're trusting the Lord. And so the one doesn't see good, the other doesn't see bad. And that just challenges me. Where is my perspective? Where is my focus in the midst of life? It has everything to do with where your hope is, where your trust is. Now, let's, let's go back to our passage here in Ezekiel 47, and let, let's make application for us today. We've looked at some, some of the literal aspects of this passage. We've made some observations. Let's now make some applications for us today. I guess you realize... That this living stream of water that flows from the sanctuary in the temple. That is continually growing deeper and wider. And that is filling every place where it flows with life and health. Represents the presence and the blessing of God. And represents the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Once again, wherever the Spirit is, there is movement. There is movement. And I am confident, dear people, that God wants to take us to a deeper place in our relationship with him this year. I'm confident that he wants to take me to a deeper place. I believe he wants to take each of you individually to a deeper place. And therefore, I think he wants to take our congregation to a deeper place in our relationship with him in our intimacy with him this year. Why do I believe so? Because that is the call of the gospel, and that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit is, there is movement. God is all about saving sinners, God is all about sanctifying saints. He has a work for us to do. He has a way of preparing us for the next thing. He has a way of of sharpening us and honing us and molding us so that we're more useful. And as long as we're in these bodies on this side of heaven, there will always be areas to grow. There will always be amounts of growth that are necessary. And yet, many people stiff arm the loving call of the Holy Spirit. Many people stiff arm that loving call. I believe today that too many Christians are just right content to be loafing around the altar of their initial experience. Too many church members today are just, just fine with splashing around in ankle deep water. Because they feel safe there. They feel comfortable there. They don't feel Overly stretched there. They feel within their little box. You see what I'm saying? Uh, They can still feel the ground. And yet God is calling every one of us to go deeper with Him. Why does this scare us? I speak for myself. Why does this scare me? When I sense that God wants me to get to a deeper place in my relationship with Him... Why do I tend to resist that? Why does that scare me? Why do we uh, often stubbornly resist this loving, soft voice? Why do we often resist his gentle nudging? It's because we don't fully trust him. You see, here it is. The deeper we go, the less we are in control. And he's saying, come deeper, come deeper. Come to the ankle-deep water. Come to that ankle-deep experience. Yeah, I can do that. What about to the knees? Probably. What about to the waist? Maybe. Now let me take you into water over your head. I don't think so. I don't think I can do that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can. not I'm not sure I'm going to make it through that. You see, as long as we can feel the ground, as long as we can figure it out, when God brings those situations into our lives, when God brings that call into our life, when we are faced with the call of the gospel to move to deeper water, as it were, if we can figure it out, if we can see our way clear, if we can see how it's going to end up, then, then we're, we're ready to trust. Then we'll say, okay, I'll go through. But when we can't see our way clear, when we can't figure it out, then we hesitate. Then we stumble. We're not sure if we're going to make it. So we just stay where it's most comfortable. And too often, dear people, that's just in that ankle-deep water. Ankle-deep water splashing around that initial place of experience. Let me just remind you this morning... That we serve a faithful God. A God that is able, as Paul wrote, to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. We serve a God that will bring us through. And yes, even through those situations that look absolutely overwhelming. Those situations that look absolutely impossible. We serve a God that will bring us through. Notice that in these verses once again. Three times, Ezekiel said, this man brought him through. He brought him through. And I hearken back again uh, to chapter 37, where we have the story of the dry bones. And, And as I mentioned in that chapter, and then in this chapter as well, they're very similar in the way that there is a picture of hopelessness. There's a picture of impossibility. There's a picture of something that you cannot wrap your mind around. And then there is a question Can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel was a priest. Ezekiel had had seen lives restored. He had seen dead things come alive. He had seen relationships been made right. He had seen a lot of amazing things in his work among people and in the temple. But when God asked him, can these bones live? He wasn't sure what to say. And I I think he was between a rock and a hard place. where, Where his spirit wanted to say, yes. But in his flesh he was like, ain't no way. And and so what he just, he said, Oh Lord, thou knowest. (laughs) Well, we have a similar picture here and another question. Son of man, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Ankle deep waters. Yeah, he brought me through. Knee deep waters. He brought me through. Waters to the west. Waste. He brought me through. Water over the head? You mean I can't I I can't touch the ground anymore? You notice we don't have he brought me through. Why? Why? We would like to see he brought me through, right? <laughs> we would like to see that. But what faith would it take? What faith would it take if he says, Yep, yeah, brought me through, brought me through, brought me? Okay, great, I'm going through. How much faith would it take from us if everything is always spelled out? Everything. You see, who are we trusting then? Are we like the man in Ezekiel chapter 17? Or Jeremiah 17? The man who just trusts in himself? Or are we the one who we put our hope in the Lord? (laughs) Whatever comes, we're trusting the Lord. And so he brought me through the ankle-deep water, brought me through the knee-deep water, brought me through the waist-deep water, over the headwaters. Dear people, we can't doubt him now. He's always been faithful. He's always brought me through in the past. you think he's just going to drown us now? No. And so the obvious answer is, he will bring me through that too. In fact, there's scriptures that speak about that with those same words. Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Isaiah 43, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with you. Psalm 84, Who passing through the valley of Baca, maketh it a well. What? Really? When passing through the valley of weeping, of suffering, of terribleness. They make it a well. There it is. The springs also fill the pools. I just say, dear people, that the God who has brought His people, the God who has brought us through in the past is the same God that promises to bring us through in the things this year. Whatever we face in the future, He will bring us through. It's time to to wrap this up here. We could turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. And we won't do that for sake of time. But there the Hebrew writer is is calling us on to spiritual maturity. He says, "You, you should be teaching the word by now. You should have moved on in your walk with the Lord. So far that you could be teaching and preaching. But instead you're still just sipping on milk like a little baby. He said, Get up and move on to spiritual maturity. You can read it for yourself later. You see, God is calling us to, to dive in and to live in the full flow of his spirit. Clinging to that anchor of hope that is both sure and steadfast. Hebrews 6. Only then, dear people, can we experience his mighty power. Flowing through our lives and impacting our Our world and our relationships for Jesus Christ. You see, it's something that is flowing within us. Coming out of the presence of God himself. Flowing in us. Bubbling up. And beautifying our world for Jesus Christ. Jesus told the woman at the well, The water that I shall give thee shall be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That is the thought of an artesian well that is way deep down but it it bubbles up to the surface by natural pressure. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, the water that I, I place within you, the water that you drink of, that eternal water, shall be like that artesian well that just bubbles up and bubbles over and bubbles over, bringing beauty not only to your life, but to those around you. Well, let me just wrap it up with this. Jerusalem... I understand, is the only great city in the ancient world that wasn't located on a river. Why is this? You see, back in that day, a dependable water supply was absolutely essential to life and protection. Why didn't Jerusalem have that? What was the difference about Jerusalem? I'll tell you the difference. Jerusalem was the city of the great king. And God had often told His people, in essence, you need to believe My Word and obey Me. You need to keep your eyes on Me. I'm going to fight your battles. You just trust Me. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight your battles. And so, their life and their protection flowed from within them, you could say. It came from within them. It wasn't dependent on some outside Source, And as long as those people kept their focus on God, as long as they allowed him uh, to truly be their savior, as long as they truly allowed him to, to, to fight for them, they won every battle. But the Bible says, dear people, that one day Jerusalem will have a river like no other nation ever had. Now, is that in a literal sense? Is it speaking symbolically Uh, I don't know, maybe it's speaking about both. But just turn with me yet to Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13. And it speaks about, in that day, in that day, what does it say? Zechariah 13 verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Is that speaking about the coming Messiah and his work in the hearts of men and women? Maybe it is. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 6. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. Not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. I know where your minds are already gone, Revelation. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one, or only one name. It will be the Lord. Uh, We can't close without going to Revelation 22. You just simply can't read this passage without going to Revelation 22. Uh, it's, it's such a joy. And I don't know all the answers. I have some thoughts about how this will be. But I just leave this with you. Verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree... Or for the healing of the nations. Praise God. Let's pray.